You guys ready? You guys ready today? We've got another conversation with Jesus coming up. And these have been really fun and easy things, haven't they? Just so light and enjoyable. <laughs> Turns out Jesus had some pretty courageous conversations with people. Uh, we've been in this series going through all the different times Jesus has chats in real life when they were recorded. And it's been a very interesting question to go, what did he talk about with people? What were the things that he brought up? What were the kinds of conversations over coffee or in groups that he would have had? And uh, I've been super convicted about the things that Jesus decides to bring up and converse with people, especially in one-on-one scenarios. And with his disciples, with the Pharisees, with the crowd, all these different sorts of folks. And uh, he is extremely, the fancy word is differentiated. He, he is not thinking about the emotionality of these conversations. He's not fear-driven, that's for sure. He's just saying stuff. Sometimes it's a little confusing, but that's why we've been unpacking it a little bit together over the last couple weeks to go, okay, what is he actually trying to get across to us? So today, we're going to talk about one of my favorites. Favorite's an interesting word. Uh, one of the most interesting things uh, in, the, in my walk with Jesus, and it's this concept of authority. What is authority, what does authority look like in our culture? What did Jesus say about authority? It's become kind of an ugly word, even though if you think about it, the word authority shouldn't actually have any morality attached to it. It's just a neutral word. But when we hear it, it doesn't seem neutral to us. I don't know about you, but when I see that word, it's like, oh, that's got a lot of baggage attached to it. But Jesus doesn't seem to be super afraid of it. So we're going to get into the concept of authority today. Um, through, we've been going through Mark. So all of these conversations have been in Mark, and this is Mark 10. And so I'm just going to read this passage. It'll be up on the screen behind me. And we'll unpack it together. This is Mark 10, 35 to 45. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, being Jesus. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, being the other disciples, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. <clears throat> Father, I thank you for this, this truth and uh, these gripping words of the reality of your kingdom and the, re- and the way that you are redeeming this concept of authority through this passage. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us see you this morning. I pray that... Uh, we would be able to trust you, that your spirit would speak to us, and that we'd walk out of this room closer and more trusting of you. Thank you for this opportunity. Amen. So, uh, what I'm going to talk a lot about today is this idea 
there, there's two different economies. Maybe that's the word I'll use at play here. There's the economy of what makes sense to us. You could call it a worldly economy would be another way of saying it. And then there just seems to be this other thing that we'll call a kingdom economy that Jesus is talking about here. And it doesn't make a lot of sense logically to us about how that all works. But there's two economies at play. And so James and John are wanting some worldly power and authority and influence in this passage. I just, the audacity actually that they have, it's kind of cute when they're like, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. It's quite to the point. I'm actually grateful that they were just that straight up and not convoluted about like, look, just we want you <laughs> to do for us. I'm like, that's bold. I don't know if I'd have the courage. But they're like, no, I'm, I've been serving you and walking with you, so hey, I need you to do me a solid. And then they ask for a very, that's a big ask. Like, I want to, we want to sit at your left and your right forever. Like, we want to be number one and number two. That's a huge ask. And uh, I think that James and John are still a little bit confused about what exactly Jesus is building. So he's building that kind of kingdom. And in that time, the disciples are still in the figuring out phase of the, and everybody is, that is around Jesus of like, what exactly are you building and doing here, Jesus? Because we're really hoping that you're going to set us free from Roman oppression. You know, if you know what Zionism is, we're really hoping we're going to get our Holy Land back. If we look at all the Isaiah prophecies, someone's going to come and rescue us from earthly kingdoms through higher levels of earthly authority, and you're going to conquer and drive out all the people that are, we don't like. Like, this is still what the disciples are probably clinging to and hoping happens. <laughs> like, please just, this is really complicated, this whole servanthood stuff and this whole lay your life down thing. Can you just drive the Romans out? Like, that'd be really handy. And then we'll sit on your right and left. So that makes sense to them. And uh, I think we still get confused, even though we kind of know a fuller part of the story. We still get confused on what exactly Jesus is building as well. Where I... I can still ask for worldly things from him, but we'll get there in a second. So originally, I was, uh, you know, you're reading this, and I'm like, well, we're a little smarter than that. We know that, you know, Jesus has already ascended to heaven, and we kind of have a bit of a paradigm for a future kingdom and all these things. So we're not so inclined to, uh, you know, want to sit at his left at our right. We would never be so naive as to ask for something like that. But uh, I can identify with wanting worldly authority. I can identify with wanting to be in control in the ways that make sense to me. I can totally resonate with wanting Jesus to do things for me in my kingdom and the kingdoms that I'm building. Now all of a sudden I was like, oh, okay. We don't really have the whole Zionism perspective. If you remove that, I still totally resonate with them. Wanting Jesus, I just want Jesus to do things for me all the time and fulfill my agendas for my kingdoms. I can resonate. So, um, we also want this kind of worldly authority in our flesh. It's, we enjoy it. I'll unpack what I, more, uh, what I mean by that in a second, but just to help us, I had this graphic that may, many of you have seen, you can put that up, and it's just kind of this tale of two kingdoms, as it were. We have the kingdom of sin and self, and we've all got our cute little castles that we build, and you know, by our own might and by our own strength, by our own influence. 
Then you've got this kingdom of God. It's much fancier. It's got, you know, what are those called? Parapets? Is the word? I don't know. Citadels? Citadels. That's the one. Um, So that's fancier, and it's higher, so that's better. Uh, But there's this idea that we've all are building these, these little kingdoms that make a ton of sense to us. And uh, they don't actually require any kind of surrender. But there's this problem called this infinite gap thing that it, you can't, we, we all know that, like, especially if we're sitting here in this room, we're going to church, we're figuring this following Jesus thing out. I want to be part of God's kingdom. And yet I operate <laughs> a lot of days just building my own thing through earthly authority. So I keep saying this term earthly authority. Let me unpack for you what I feel like maybe that means in everyday life. Or this is what it means for me. Uh, we don't say, we don't really walk around saying, I want authority and control of my own life. As, especially as Christians, that sounds pretty bad. So what we say is, I have rights. And I am entitled to certain things. And, uh, okay, well, I mean, you could just read, like, the Constitution. Um, what's the line? Um, I have rights, I have, the, uh, I have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Like, who's going to disagree with that? I have the right to pursue all of these things. Life, freedom, what makes me happy. And to be honest, especially in our society, we, don't, we can do that ourselves. We can ask Jesus for help with that. Like, hey, it'd be great if I was happy. You know? It'd be great if you, I was alive. <laughs> it'd be great if I was free. But all of those things actually aren't technically rights that we have from eternal perspective. He's building something much bigger and much more beautiful, I would argue, than our rights that we think that we have. Especially if we're living in this world and going, okay, we got about 80 years, got to maximize that thing. There's a whole bunch of stuff that I idolize that doesn't matter in the face of eternity, if I'm honest. And I'm going, oh, I spend a lot of time living in this economy when God's trying to do something else. So we got to unpack this. Um, it looks a lot like self-preservation and self-promotion and self-assurance and self, 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 right? Kingdom of sin and self. But we, 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 we craft it in these really, really cute ways that don't really seem selfish and they don't really seem like we have authority issues. But at the end of the day, I'm in charge of my life. And I might ask Jesus for help with that. So um, I, 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 I don't know if you guys ever... Think about this, but when I watch like old movies, like medieval movies, where people fight for a king, do you know what I'm saying? How wild is that? That they would just march out because there's a symbol on their shield of a guy who they've never met who's in charge, who's probably a jerk. But, you know, you're a bannerman of that thing. And I'm going to go die for that. I think we just have, I have no frame of reference for what it's like to not have rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness for the sake of a greater authority than me. No clue. In fact, it seems abusive and terrible. And yet, Jesus is like, nope, I'm establishing a kingdom where I'm the king, and that's the best possible news for you. I'm like, wow, I have so, I don't have a frame of reference for that. So, here's the problem, guys, with our little kingdom, our kingdoms of sin and self, is worldly authority 
and self-promotion and self-preservation and all those things that make tons of sense to us, they only have the power to build our little kingdoms of self because it's not the right economy. It's a completely different economy. We're going to get into in a second how that works. But we've got to be sure about the fact that self as a goal and as a thing that we're not willing to let go of can't ultimately build God's kingdom because the economy is completely upside down over there. So that's kind of the first thing we just got to establish. Worldly authority only has the power to build the kingdom of self. And everyone's fine as long as the castles don't touch and, you know, everyone's got their own little castle and everything's fine. So as I was writing this stuff down, I felt a little convicted because so many of us in this room call ourselves Christians. So we have to get more. If I'm not willing to relinquish authority and kingship to Jesus, like in the most ultimate sense, I have to get really clever about how to participate in this whole kingdom of God thing. I have to get super sneaky about it and get really, really smart because I'm not willing to give up control, So unless I'm the sound guy. And, uh, <laughs> and so we got to get clever. And here's what, I, here's what I wrote down, and we can unpack this together. I don't know if you're allowed to quote me on this, but let's chew on it for a second. <laughs> uh, do you ask Jesus to aid you in the construction of your kingdom? So let's just think about that for a second. Are you asking Jesus to be the most important participant in the construction of your thing, of what you want and desire and need? And so James and John are clever about it. They're like, okay, we'll be on the right and the left. You're for sure in the driver's seat, right? Let's be reasonable. You are Jesus. The miracle things were pretty sweet. So we'll take one and two. But at the end of the day, their heart is still living in the wrong economy. And so Jesus is going, you don't even know what you're asking. Like, you don't know what you're asking. There's something else going on here. And so I do this a lot where I'm like, all right, Jesus, you for sure should be number one in the rulership of my life. But uh, it's got to be, okay, so I was, I'll, I'll just tell you, I was thinking about that stupid song, um, Jesus Take the Wheel. <laughs> Here's what I think. Here's what I think is probably better theology. Jesus, take the wheel and then crash my car into the ditch. That's probably what I need him to do. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, don't just... Because I have a destination in mind and like you're a better driver towards where I was planning on going. It's like, no, please crash my stupid car because I worship this thing and I have no idea. I'm so, I don't want to take this metaphor too deep, okay? <laughs> but at the end of the day, that's what I was thinking. Just here, take it and uh, just cram that thing into the ditch. Because I fall into this trap of going, okay, Jesus, it's best for me if you're in charge. Same economy. Same economy. And so this is what we do is we go, okay, it's best for me if you're in charge. So I'm going to worship you and serve you as long as I'm happy, as long as this happens, as long as I don't suffer too much, as long as I don't have to be a martyr. And then we just have all these end destinations in mind. And then it doesn't work. And Jesus is like, you don't know what you're asking. It, it doesn't work. And so then we wonder, oh, Jesus doesn't make me happy. And he's like, oh, I wasn't actually, that wasn't my main thing though. In fact, I wasn't on purpose so that you'd see my economy. We're going to get there in a second. But I was just very convicted going, holy, I totally resonate with James and John here. Going, 
I'm not so arrogant to think that I should be totally in charge. However, I am not okay if the destination isn't what I want it to be. And all of a sudden, it's the same economy, and it doesn't work. And he doesn't, it doesn't take us exactly where we always wanted to go. He has a different agenda that might result in, like, dare I say it, suffering and hardships and all these other things that when we read seem to be these super fruitful things in lives of early Christians. My goodness, suffering was like the best news ever to them. We'll get to some of those passages later. I'm going, I have no idea what that even means. So if we read Jesus' answer to this, he asks them, can you be baptized? Like, okay, okay, so you want authority, right? You want authority. You want to be part of my kingdom. The question he asks is, can you be baptized by the same baptism that I'm going to be baptized with? So for those of you who don't know what baptism is, it's like a symbol of death and resurrection. It's I'm dying to my old self. That kingdom just took one of the boulders from a trebuchet, like, like I'm dying to my old self. Be baptized. And here's why I think he's doing that. It's because, uh, you know, stay with me for a second. Authority plus self is really bad news for us. Authority, us have, being in charge, plus a sinful, selfish, broken nature really takes us into terrible directions and only just creates more of those things. And so Jesus is going, be baptized. Uh, and that is the way into my kingdom because it is a kingdom and it doesn't have room for your rulership. So how's this all good news? That's the heavy stuff. <clears throat> Jesus is saying my kingdom isn't built on selfish authority. In verse 42, he says, uh, he, he talks about what selfish authority looks like in this world. And he's going, disciples, you know, you know kind of what you're asking for. And he gives an example when he says, Jesus called them all together when they were arguing about who's going to be in charge and who's going to be at the right or the left. He's like, look, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. You already know that this kind of self-serving authority doesn't serve you, and you know that you hate it already, so why are you asking for it? I'm building a different thing. You know that you already don't like this, and you know how destructive it can be. So, now we get to the, the good news, is that the definition of authority in God's kingdom is servanthood. He says, as we already read, instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Whoever, whoever wants to be first in my kingdom must be the slave of all. It's completely flipped. It's a completely upside-down economy. So imagine for a second. Imagine. Imagine if people who follow Jesus were, well, we'll use the ugly term, slaves of all. What would, what would that do? What kind of economy or kingdom would that create if we were really that surrendered? If we really were going, okay, I'm going to believe you. Uh, the, most, the, the way to advance your kingdom the most is by being a slave to all. It's a wild, wild thing to say. So 
I'll, I want to share just a little piece of my heart uh, that I've been working on for a long time because I think it fits into this, and it's, it's my personal example of how this works in my life. Um, I care a lot about, for some reason, I don't know when it started or why it started, but for some reason, God's given me this little, I guess, I don't know, like a gift of faith, I guess, if I could you know, be so bold, is I just really love unity, like unity amongst inside the church, between churches, for whatever reason. I just love when people are unified and together and one. And I have great faith that it's possible. So sometimes I'll talk to my friends of mine and they're like, you just, you're so naively optimistic when it comes to unity stuff. And I'm like, I know, <laughs> I know, I love it. Um, you're welcome. Uh, I just really believe that unity is possible. And for a long time, I didn't understand why. I just, I, maybe I liked when everyone was in the same room, you know, maybe more people would show up to the worship nights if people were unified, and <laughs> I don't know where it all started. But I, uh, I'm starting to unpack why I feel like my heart beats for unity. And it kind of goes like this, like, oneness, so I'm gonna, let me read what Jesus prays for for a second at the end of John, and it's wild, and I think it's my, like, life verse. It says this, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. This is Jesus praying. May they be brought to complete unity. Earlier he says that they would be so one, us, they'd be as one as you and I are one. Do you think the father and son are pretty tight? Like he's praying for that level of intimacy and closeness amongst us as believers in the church. And then this is wild. He says, may they be brought to complete unity. Another, another translation says perfect unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So oneness, perfect unity. Not only is it, would it just be cute if we were all friends, it's actually the plan for Jesus being known by the world as the Messiah. And I don't know about you, but it doesn't, it doesn't actually add up in my mind. That doesn't make logical sense. Wait, wait. We just all have to love each other and be close? And that's what the world's going to go, oh my goodness, Jesus must be king. That's not what I would do. I would just get better at preaching or something. Like, that would make sense to me. Or, I don't know, come up with structures and programs. Nope. Unity. Oneness. So then you start to unpack this and going, well, how would you ever achieve that? How would you ever achieve that level of oneness? Well, all of a sudden, when the economy is servanthood to its ultimate form, slaves of all, unity and oneness is the natural byproduct of considering others better than yourselves, like Philippians 2 says. And all of a sudden, unity starts to become something that just happens because I'm here to serve you, and like you're here to serve me. And this oneness, not in some weird way, but like a, everyone's still their own person, but somehow they're connected by the spirit and this one economy with one king going, I don't have anything left to prove, and my sins have been paid for, so I could actually just lay my life down for you. And all of a sudden, we start to arrive at this thing that looks a lot like a kingdom. So 
But, you know, imagine the cost to us of that level of unity. Think about how much that costs us. Never mind even in this room. Like, what about between churches and denominations? Oh, my goodness. Like, it's a mir- it would just be a miracle. But then again, Jesus is praying for a miracle here in John 17. Going, oh, man, if my people could understand how saved and loved they are. They could lay their lives down for each other, and all of a sudden, we've got one kingdom with one king, and the world's going to look on and go, how did that happen? Why is that a thing? And to be honest, guys, it's kind of the only thing that makes us different, is our love for each other in a way that you can love and not need anything back. You can love and not need payment, because it's all paid for, and now it starts to make sense, oh, This actually makes tons of sense as the plan for the salvation of the world. Paul says, Paul prays, I won't read it, but Paul prays later uh, when he's writing, I forget which uh, epistle now, but he prays that they would all be one so that the world would look at Christians and the way they lived together and loved each other, and then the world would believe in in their own judgment. Like, that's even more extreme. They would look at us and our oneness and our love and our connectedness and the way that we are, you know, serve each other, and they would know that, that there's a future judgment coming. That's even more of a miracle. Wow, what a crazy plan he has. So here's what I've been realizing, is that unity actually takes a ton of leadership and a ton of authority. It's the hardest thing to bring people into because it costs them everything. It's like 100% surrender. It doesn't work without baptism in every sense of the term. It takes so much leadership and so much loving, selfless authority. It's very hard. I've lived in the world of uh, trying to bring unity amongst churches and stuff, and it is. Wow, is that a ton of work. But it is so fruitful, and I don't have a better plan. So God kind of gave me this heart for you know, seeing a city changed over the next bunch of years. Like, I'm naively optimistic, right? That's my, you know, the hat I wear. And uh, I can't think of a better plan than unity. If somebody has one, please come talk to me. Uh, like, let me know. If there's, a way, if there's a way to show our city the supremacy and beauty of following Jesus besides full surrender of him and watching that play out as the church, let me know. It'd be nice if there was, because it cost us less. But I don't think there is another plan. It takes a lot of leadership. So, nothing brings unity like a king. A king brings unity. A king says, fight for me and die for me because it's better for some other bigger purpose. Thankfully, it's not some feudal medieval king. Uh, It's a loving king who's conquered death. That's handy. Going, hey, Fight for me. So uh, I don't think he's trying to unify, you know, this king is not trying to unify all the little ones. (laughs) Do you know what I'm saying? He's not trying to be like, okay, well, I'm going to go door to door and hope that you all agree with my plan. And everyone goes, all right, we'll see how you do. That's not what he's trying to do. He's trying to build a kingdom. So, uh, you know, drum roll, Jesus is that king. And here's what gives him the authority to actually be that king is he went first. Like, he did it first. He exemplified what he's inviting you and I, like you and I to do first 
and he's God and didn't do anything wrong. It's the most beautiful leadership ever. So verse 45, at the end of what we just read, says, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is how much he believed in his economy being the salvation of the world. I'll go first. This is what the new kingdom is about. This is what it was all meant to be. I'm building a kingdom of love, so I'm going to bank on it first. I'm banking on it. And when people try to just get my good books because they're thinking I'm building something else, I just say, you don't know what you're asking. You don't know what you're asking. So you can put kind of a, the other slide up here. You can go next one. This is where the cross fits, and the cross bridges the gap for us. And it's a form of like, it's a, it's a, it's a picture of our salvation. It's also what makes him the king. It's his crown is this cross. It's the authority he has to tell you and I to do the same. Because he conquered death and all the sins are paid for. He gave his life as a ransom for many. It's his badge of going, this is why I'm king. Let's read Philippians uh, 2, 5 to 11, because it spells it out perfectly. You can put that up behind me. It's probably one of my favorite chunks of scripture. Um, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Right? The unity thing we just talked about. Who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and in and in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is our king we get to follow. This is our king who has every right to rule us. Every right. And it's the best news. I want to read one more verse and then we'll wrap up. It's Philippians 3, 7 to 11. It's further along in the same book. And it's Paul kind of hashing out what this means for him. What does this mean? What does following Jesus in this way, in his economy, look like? Paul says this. But but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Verse 10 again, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. I, I see this picture, uh, uh, Sam kind of mentioned it earlier when she was sharing about that Revelation verse of this picture of all these people putting their crowns at the feet of Jesus. Like, here's my crown. That, to me, is a picture of the kingdom of God. And think about, so connect the dots. You have so much, I'll use the word power, you have so much power in that motion. 
you have, God has given you so much authority in the world around you by doing this. That's your testimony. That's the plan. You shouldn't do that. That doesn't make sense to the world. And they go, wait, what? You actually have a king? You actually have someone worth serving? So much so that it would cost you? Maybe everything? Now it starts to make sense as to why this is the plan for people to know. It's the only difference. Is that we actually have a ruler who's good and loving and worth serving. This picture of people putting their crowns at the feet of Jesus makes me like emotional because it's the whole thing. You have so much power in your servanthood and in your loss and your sufferings for the sake of Christ. It gives, it's <laughs> so much authority to advance his kingdom, not your own. Uh, you're his ambassador. You get to bring people into complete unity and oneness and relationship, which I think we're all looking for, which I think answers the desires of our hearts, which I think is the thing we're trying to preach. And we're like, yeah, let's be one. So just kind of to end, I'll leave you with this little line is kingdom leadership, kingdom authority that I think we all have as sons and daughters of the king is just pointing people to Jesus. It's pointing at him, going, look, he's worth following and he's a worthy king because he loves me and I'm going to show you that I believe that by living the same way. That's his calling card. Do you ever think about how wild it is that God gives us the opportunity to be his ambassadors? Just, I'm not gonna stick around and just keep saying this. You get to say it. In fact, you get to live it. In fact, that's better than me sticking around. You're going to live it. You're my calling card. The humility of God is just nuts. It's better that I go, he says, right? It's better that I go because you get to live it out. The only possible container of the fullness and beauty of the gospel is your heart and your life. Living it out. That's the only way, it was never gonna be, it was never gonna be just some amazing message. It was never gonna be a list of doctrines. All those, those things are helpful. The best way to contain what he's building is in the way that you live your life and the way that you surrender to him. And that's beautiful. And then he doesn't have to go, oh, well, here, look, I proved it. He, Jesus gets to go, no, look, I proved it. Look at my people, how free they are. Look how much they love each other. Look how one they are. What an unbelievable testimony. It's way more powerful than him just winning through a worldly economy of just being influential. Nope, I'm gonna work through my people and I'm so grateful. So perhaps today, uh, this might be a tough truth, tough truth for us all. I mean, it's a tough truth for me as I was studying it this week, going, uh, wow, I idolized my car. <laughs> to go back to Carrie Underwood. Uh, I just, I really love where that thing's headed, I think. And then I wonder, oh, I wonder why, uh, this is, I'm speaking super personally. It's not a label on anybody else, but I've been wondering why the people around me don't seem all that compelled by Jesus. Yeah. It doesn't seem that compelling to them. And it's not all of it is my fault, obviously. But it might be, I'm asking myself this healthy question of going, do I actually live in that economy? Like, do I have a story about things that go, that doesn't make sense, Jonathan, why you do that? Like, you must, they wouldn't say this, but you must have some king you trust, right? There must be something else going on. You wouldn't do that. 
And so I'm checking my heart going, oh, Father, I want your kingdom to come. I want your kingdom to come. And you've given me this kind of kingdom authority called servanthood. Where can I serve? What would it cost me? And um, I'm starting to see. Uh, I'll like, you know, walk into a room of a bunch of leaders in a geographic location. And, uh, uh, you know, all trying to work together to build, you know, churches and ministries and things. And then when, uh, some people, when they walk into that room, uh, this a friend of mine told me, he's like, uh, when I walk into that room, I just get overwhelmed by all the differences. <laughs> like, there's just so many agendas in this room and so many clashes of ministry styles and so many, you know, arguments and past hurts and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yep, yeah, those are all there. But I'll tell you what I see. I see opportunities to display kingdom economy because everybody can lay their life down. Everybody, not everyone can get more talented, not everyone can work harder, not everyone can, but everybody can go, not my will, but your will be done. Everyone can be a slave of all. Everyone can go, Jesus, I want your name to be lifted up so high above what I can do that I'll just, what does it cost me? Oh, I have this to lay down. I have this to not care about. Is that what you wanted? Here's my crown. Everyone can do that. That's repentance. And you realize that revival is a heartbeat away. It's not, wow, if one day someone's going to come up with a great plan. Nope. We are a second away from the kingdom being at hand immediately in this moment. It's this. It's all that's ever going on. And so when I look at a room of a whole bunch of leaders or something or a church, everyone's clashing, no one knows what to do. I'm like, well, am I going to preach Jesus? Am I going to point at him? Am I going to point at his authority going, look, we all can do that. And all of a sudden the kingdom is at hand. The world goes, that shouldn't be possible. And we are advancing the kingdom of love that sets people free. And so it's all the heart, it's all the heartbeat away. I know that it's the hardest thing in the world to do. I get that. I get that. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying it's really simple. So I have tons of hope. I have tons of hope for the kingdom in Vancouver. Because I see a bunch of leaders and a bunch of Christians and a bunch of people who are walking around just going, okay, do I believe him enough for this to be the plan? That's all that's ever going on. And maybe he's inviting you to do something practical. It's not, it's not masochistic. It's not like, oh, if I suffer, it immediately means, I don't mean that. But, but I would ask you, and we have a ministry time coming up, it's what's healthy is not going, okay, I gotta suffer for Jesus. That's too... That's too reductionistic. It's, it's more complicated than that. Have a conversation with him. Have a conversation and go, where do I not trust you? Where can I be a servant? And then let him speak. He's a God who speaks. And, I, and, and that level of surrender, I think, is all he ever asks of us. And he'll say something to you. And it'll be a gulp. And uh, scripturally speaking, there's joy in it. If we believe what Paul's saying... I consider all those things garbage for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. And do we, do we believe that? And let him whisper that to you and let him minister to you with that truth. It's so scary, but it is a lot of fun. It's really real. It's not some fluffy Christianity, churchianity. It's real stuff. And he's here to meet us. I'm gonna invite the worship team up. I just wanna pray for us and then Matt will take us through ways, some ways we can respond. Lord, uh, yeah, Lord, <laughs> we, 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 we say that you are our Lord this morning. And Father, we want to live in your economy.
We don't want to build our own things. Father, I'm so tired of, of, of maintaining my own agendas in the face of yours. I, I dec- we declare this morning that they're not as good. They're nowhere near as good. They're garbage for the surpassing worth of knowing you. And Lord, as we submit and surrender, I do pray that you would grant us the desires of our hearts. They're there for a reason. They're not wrong. But God, would we put them in their right place? Would we not hold them with clenched fists? Would would we be the kinds of Jesus followers who hold the things you've given us with an open hand because at the end of the day, we just want you. At the end of the day, we just want to follow you. So Father, would you highlight to us now Are there places where we need to serve? Are there places where we need to bear a cost for your namesake? And then in that place, would you minister us the joy of your salvation? And would you show us how that is freedom? Not masochism, freedom. We're not trying to empty ourselves of something. We're trying to fill ourselves with your presence and goodness. This is not a message of absence and emptying yourself of something. It's a message of making room for you to really be our savior. So we invite you to be our savior this morning. And would you give us practical ways of living that out? And I pray that many would come to know you as we love these things out.